0: the moment before we before we do that I want to ask you a hypothetical question imagine in your wild imagination what would you buy or what would you do if money was no object Now, sometimes this is used in leadership classes I've taken. It's it's used to talk about visionary thinking and what's holding you back, you know, whatever. This isn't a leadership question. This is a you question. This is a humanity question. What would you do with unlimited resources? And don't give the cleaned up, Sunday school answers. Be honest with yourself. Some of the things you would do might be worthy things and good things. Some of them, however, if you're honest, might not be quite so pure. We have opportunity today to learn from a man who had unlimited resources. Whatever you imagined in in that moment of time of what you would do with unlimited resources, this man probably tried it. He likely, to one form or another, tried to find meaning, satisfaction, contentment, and joy in life in this world with whatever you just thought of. The man's name is Solomon, and Solomon was the son of King David. In a few weeks, we're going to be starting a study on the life of David. But for the next few weeks, next couple, three, four weeks, we're going to be looking at some highlights through the book of Ecclesiastes and looking at the writing of Solomon as he is now coming toward the end of his life. Just a little bit about Solomon if you're not familiar with him. First of all, he was a man Who was known for great wisdom? God had actually answered his prayer and provided for him this ability to solve problems and to resolve issues with great wisdom, greater than anyone else. Solomon also had a second attribute about him that puts him in a class all in and of himself, and that is he was a king, he was king in Israel. In fact, history tells us he was the last king in Israel of a unified kingdom. After Solomon, the kingdom would be divided. It would be divided into Israel to the north and Judah down to the south. And while Solomon was king, the nation flourished. Not only did the nation flourish, Solomon flourished. He became arguably the richest, most powerful, and influential man, or woman for that matter, who has ever lived in all of history. Now, let me ask you something. When you thought about your list of what you would do if money was no object, very often we think about things of this world and and matters of this world that we believe is going to bring us satisfaction. And sometimes we're not really worried about what God has to say about that. We're not really worried about God's boundaries. We're not really worried about God's commandments. In fact, Solomon went through a period of time, as we'll look in just a moment, he had complete disregard for what God's Word said. He actually contradicted what he had written previously in the book of Proverbs. He violated many of the things he had written. You know, America is an interesting place for so many reasons and seems to be getting more interesting with each passing day. But one of the realities of our country that I praise the Lord for is the fact that we are arguably the richest, most influential civilization that has ever existed in history. And yet, and yet, We have more conveniences in our nation that has existed at any other time in history. What has that brought us? I would argue that increasingly we are simply irritable and impatient people. We have also today more avenues through which we can find pleasure. Whatever you like to do, there's something for you. And yet… We are increasingly frustrated and miserable. Here's another one. We are increasingly a nation that has entertainment at our fingertips. Even when the production of movies today has been reduced because of the COVID 19 issue, we know that we have access to constant forms of entertainment. I said this a few weeks ago and got an interesting comment I I had permission to share. I had said a couple of weeks ago that uh, our family rule is that everyone's screen, we don't allow screens on the second floor of our house. And I had a lady come to see me again with her permission, and she said, you know, pastor, this was a generational moment for me. I thought to myself, what is wrong with having screens in your second floor windows? Um, Nothing, although we have, I think, two missing at the moment. It's not the kind of screen I'm talking about. I'm talking about these. It's funny, I get up every morning, and and my wife does a great job of making sure she collects everybody's devices. And when I come down, they're just lined up. How many different ways can you access entertainment today? Oh, I remember entertainment when I was a kid. Maybe you resonate with this. My family, we had a white Chrysler Cordova. Yeah, a couple of you laughed because you remembered how ridiculous they were. There was five of us, and Cordova's had two doors, the really big ones that you like dented everybody else's car when you opened it, and it swung open, you hit somebody's vehicle next to you. Of course, back in the 70s, they were made of like indestructible tank material, so it didn't really do a whole lot of damage. But I remember we took two trips to California from Delaware, and the first time we went south, and then up, and then back through, and then the second time we went a different route. I, I have been in 49 of the 50 states in our country. Hawaii's the only one left, and I have zero desire to go there, so I'll be content with 49. But on this trip, here was our form of entertainment. A window to look out at the landscape, and an 8-track player. And we had two 8-tracks, I heard Jim Croce's song "Photographs and Memories" about seventy thousand times on that trip. There was no iPad, no iPhone; didn't exist. Now, before you think I'm anti-technology, I'm not. That's not the point. The point is this: the more driven we have become by entertainment we have increasingly become dissatisfied, and here it is, folks, bored. How many times in the course of a day do you hear someone say, I'm bored? Life is so boring. Might it be that despite our material prosperity we are suffering from a different kind of poverty than financial poverty it might very well be that the the poverty that we are suffering from from in our culture more importantly is poverty in our soul we seem to feel empty we seem to be chasing after life chasing after meaning chasing after purpose. And yet our prosperity has done really very little other than to fan the flames and increase our appetites to have more. The more you get, the more you want. As Solomon said last week, we looked at this verse that Solomon tells us, he promises us and tells us in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes that your eyes are never satisfied. Never. Never your ears are never satisfied. We all have this insatiable desire for something new, something different, something more stimulating, something more entertaining, something more pleasurable. And folks, that isn't new. As Solomon said last week, he said that the reality is there is nothing new under the sun. This isn't a new problem. The question is, how are we trying to find this satisfaction and meaning and joy in life? We are all looking for lasting contentment. One writer said this, he said, Living for his own pleasure is the least pleasurable thing a man can do. If his neighbors don't kill him in disgust, he will die slowly of boredom and powerlessness. Which brings me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Because this morning, what I want to do in this second chapter, we'll look at the first few verses this morning, and we'll look at the end of the chapter tonight. But as we look at these two verses, or these these, uh, 11 verses or so of chapter 2, We're going to look at two realities we must face in this world. Now, I want to be upfront and clear of where Solomon is writing this book right now. He is wrestling with the realities of this world. He is wrestling with, and he's kind of caught in between, trying to live life on his own terms. In other words, there were periods of time in Solomon's life that he felt like he knew better than God. I know God said this, but I'm smarter than God, and so I'll live differently than that. You ever struggle with that? And yet then there are other times, and we'll get to this much more tonight, there are other times later in chapter 2 that Solomon begins to bring it back and say, no, 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 it's all about God. It's all about Him. And the minute that we lose sight of the fact that joy and peace and contentment and and meaning and purpose in this life is found in God and in God alone, when we can say, I'd rather have Jesus than anything, that's where life is found. But we don't live like that all the time, do we? Maybe on your list of things you would do if money were no object, you would have things on your list. That would have put you into one of two categories that Solomon is going to deal with in the beginning part of chapter two. Solomon, when he tried to live life apart from God and outside of God's boundaries, Solomon found two realities that we want to consider this morning. Number one, he found the reality that, that pleasure in and of itself is meaningless. Notice what he says, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. He said, I said in my heart, by the way, I want to say this in this very first phrase Solomon's most consistent counselor was himself. That's always dangerous. And Solomon is saying, in my own heart, okay, in my own, my own reflection, in my own thinking, in my own idea, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Let me just explain vanity for a moment. Vanity is a word we talked about last week. It's the Hebrew word hebel. It means Empty it means wind. What Solomon is saying here is that when I talked about pursuing pleasure, what I found was pleasure, apart from God, is chasing the wind. It's vanity. He continues, he said, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, there's an interesting word in verse 1 that I want you to think about with me for a moment. It is the word test. Solomon says, I have a theory and I'm going to test it. This word test is a Hebrew word that means to put something to the test to prove whether or not it is true. I was a science major, so I remember all kinds of classes in chemistry and other classes like that where you had to go, and you had a theory, you had an idea, and you had to prove it. You had to demonstrate scientifically, whether or not this was a fact. And so Solomon says this. He says, remembering, by the way, he has unlimited resources beyond any of our imaginations. He has power, influence, and money. Money is no object. Influence is no object. He has everything at his fingertips. So he says, I'm going to test something. I'm going to go into the laboratory called life, and I'm going to try to find out whether or not I can find joy and contentment and pleasure. I'm going to live it up. I am going to go out and I am going to live life on my terms. I'm going to live life in a way that I am going to devote myself to self-indulgence, Now, Solomon's theory was simply this, that personal happiness and pleasure could become the primary pursuit of life, and it would lead to contentment. In other words, surely there is enough things in this world that I can go out and get and accumulate and experience, and eventually I'll be content. Now, we'll get to this verse in a little bit, but I want you to keep all of that, with all that being said, in the context of verse 10, when he says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, none, everything that I want to do, he did it. He tried it. You know how sometimes we think we're smarter than God, like Solomon thought he was smarter than God? We sometimes think, we take the wisest human being to ever live, and we think, you know what, I'm wiser than Solomon. Surely I can find contentment, peace, and happiness, and pleasure. Solomon says, I tried it. I tried it. And what he found was, it was absolute vanity. Waste of time. Now, think about our culture for a moment, and think about just our advertising culture for a moment. How often in the course of a day are you promised through television commercials or promised through advertisements that you see on social media is that great fun and meaning in life is found when The first one we'll get to in a little bit more detail in a moment. When you buy and purchase the right alcohol. Your problem in life is you don't drink the right beer. That's your problem. If you just chose beer A instead of beer B, man, life would be great. You'd have friends. You'd have a nice house. You'd have a big boat. I mean, your life would just be wonderful. We'll get to that more in a moment. Or maybe if you just go to the right nightclub. Maybe if you just go to the right places. You know what? It may be more simple than that. If you just buy the right soda, your life will be better. If you drink Sprite instead of Coke, your life will be radically changed. All your problems will be solved. If you wear the right clothes, you won't have any more problems. If you drown yourself in the right cologne or perfume, you're gonna be this wonderfully amazing person. Who knew? But even if you wear the right deodorant, your life gets better. Who knew? I recommend deodorant highly. But you're not gonna find meaning and purpose and wonder and joy in life because you wear the right cologne or the right deodorant or you drink the right beer. But that's what our culture tells us. The hedonistic world in which we live in is not a whole lot different than the life that Solomon was living. All these things promise greatness and fun, but it is an absolute illusion. Yes, sin is fun for a season. We'd be lying, and we are oftentimes as believers lying to people when we tell them sin isn't fun. Yeah, it is. It wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't. But it leads to emptiness, pleasure apart from God. Pleasure apart from God's boundaries leads us to feeling empty and meaningless. And so the reality is we try to grasp at the next form of pleasure that I just know if I can do this, then I will feel good. Yeah, you will for 10 seconds. But it's not lasting, and Solomon tried it, and he tried everything as I saw. He desperately tried to find happiness, and he came back to vanity, 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 vanity. I am chasing after the wind. One very wise actress said this. We know that the Hollywood elites are the voice of reason and wisdom in our culture. That was sarcasm in case you missed it. One actress said this, she said, Instant gratification takes too long. Think about that for a moment. Instant gratification takes too long. Solomon spent years, years, pursuing happiness on his own terms. It's the hedonistic approach to life that says, if it pleases me, I'll do it. And Solomon, in the process, abandoned God and tried to find happiness on human terms. It comes back to that phrase we studied last week. He was looking at things under the sun, the things of this world, the things of humanity. This is where happiness and joy and contentment and pleasure and long-lasting purpose and meaning is found. And Solomon says, you're a fool if you believe that vanity, chasing after the wind. Now, think about Solomon. Let me just read another verse to you. You don't have to turn there, but listen to 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 22 through 23, just getting Solomon's monetary, you know, position and situation in our minds. Solomon's provisions, 1 Kings says, for one day, for one day, was 30 cores or six bushels of fine flour and 60 cores or bushels of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pastured fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks and fat and fowl. Estimates say this would have fed 10 to 20,000 people. And you think Solomon did not have access to everything and anything that he wanted. He had enough food to feed like a stadium filled with people. He could have filled all the Buffalo Bill fans at the game yesterday like three times. And Solomon, think about this too. We'll get to this in just a moment too in a little bit. He had 700 wives. 300 concubines. He never said no to himself. Never. He was the happiest man to ever live. Vanity of vanities, he says. It was all vanity. Now, before we go any further, let me clarify. I'm not arguing that all forms of pleasure and enjoyment are wrong. Heavens no. We'll get to that more tonight. We know that pleasure is given to us by God. We are given things in this world to enjoy. However, it is to be enjoyed within the boundaries set by Almighty God that is given to us for our protection and so that we can experience true, lasting joy. Any pleasure, even if one that is morally acceptable and biblically permissible, can become an idol. And become sinful. Much of what Solomon actually tried to find pleasure in and lasting and lasting meaning in were not inherently sinful. They just became life dominating to him, and he believed that he could find pleasure and lasting meaning in those things. Now I want to tear this couple first couple verses open just a little bit more. Look at a couple of other words. He uses the word laughter. He said, I've said of laughter, it is, it is mad. I like to laugh. Do you? I know some people that don't. They seem like laughter is not part of their world view, but laughter is a wonderful gift from God. But let's be honest, it is an island of relief, isn't it? My wife was out of town last week, and so I… I um, I took the kids out. We arranged to go out to dinner. <laughs> I'm going to not look at my kids right now because I'll probably lose it. And we were in this restaurant, and something <laughs> happened that was, if you guys need to excuse yourselves, you can, that was absolutely hilarious. We were I have a video to prove this. I won't show you, but I'll show you after if you want to see it. They were laughing so hard, me too, I legitimately thought that we were going to get asked to leave. (laughs) Thankfully, when I got up to, you know, we finally were finished and they're all still laughing, I looked behind us, there was an older couple sitting right behind us, and I half expected to see like darts coming out of this lady's eyes, like I'm glad those people are leaving, you guys are obnoxious. Thankfully, she was laughing too at us, which was great. We drive, it was Wednesday, so we drive over here for youth group and all that stuff, and they were still laughing. Couldn't breathe laughing. It was a great time. It was wonderful. One of those sweet moments as as a parent with your children, it was fun. But guess what? It was fleeting. It's over. It was enjoyable at that moment, and we'll laugh about it forever, as they are right now. But it was a moment in time. In fact, Proverbs 14 13 says, even in laughter, a heart may be sad, and joy may end in grief. Ecclesiastes 3 4 reminds us look, there is a time to weep, there is a time to laugh, and there is a time to mourn. But laughter in and of itself won't even last forever. It's a moment in time. But Solomon didn't just become a comedian and want to live his life driven by laughter, he also became a controlled party animal. Notice what he says in verse 3. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart, he makes this very quick clarification, by the way. He says, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I didn't completely lose control. But Solomon even experimented with Laughter that was lubricated with wine and alcohol. He attempted to embrace the folly of the party scene without completely losing his mind. He indulged in pleasure without being consumed by it, at least by his own estimation. He wanted to know desperately if he could indulge in this party lifestyle, in this lifestyle of having a great time and being driven by the pleasures of this world. He wanted to know if it would last. Now, get a a mental picture in your mind for a moment. Uh, Knowing this, that Solomon spent more time in his life building his own house than he did the temple of God. I don't know what Solomon's house looked like, but I bet it was pretty sweet. And imagine walking into Solomon's house, and he has this big, huge table, and he's sitting there, and there is this amazing banquet going on. We'll get to this in just a few moments, but later, the next few verses tells us he had his own choir. He had his own orchestra. There's music. There's singing. There's Laughter, there is alcohol being consumed, and everybody's having a great time. And he says it's vanity. It was all vanity. It was chasing after the wind. It left me broken, discouraged, and even depressed. No relief that was lasting. Momentary, but not permanent. On the alcohol front, by the way, we know Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 23, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, it is not for kings, O Emmanuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. Hello, Solomon? Hello? What are you doing? Verse 5 of that chapter says, actually go back to uh, uh, 31, verse 4 still, he says, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of of all afflicted. Now I know the I know I know the pushback. Pastor Jay, you cannot say that all forms of drinking alcohol is sinful. You're right, I can't. Drunkenness is clearly prohibited. Alcohol was used for times in which medicinal uses were given for alcohol. But I would say this, and this isn't a message about alcohol necessarily, but when you look at the body of evidence in Scripture that for a believer to defend alcohol and its consumption makes no sense to me, why would you do that? Why why would I risk perverting God's word or making decisions and making actions under the influence of alcohol that could have long-lasting create long-lasting problems in my life. Why would I do that for my testimony's sake and for the fact that in my, my little piece of the world and what I have seen in my family and in my wife's family is alcohol produces destruction. It produces heartache. I I was in healthcare for a long time, and I saw lots of people who drank lots of alcohol, and their life looked nothing like the commercials. Man, their life was rough. I didn't see a whole lot of evidence that drinking Bud Light on Friday night did anything but make their life more complicated, at least in the healthcare world. And so we have to understand from these opening verses is that we can enjoy God-given pleasure, but within the boundaries of Scripture, within the boundaries of God's Word, alcohol specifically brings generally heartache and destruction. It's not worth the risk. Now, in the last few minutes that we have this morning, I want to look at verses 4 through 11, and I'm going to read through them and just watch Solomon's second attempt. It wasn't just pleasure, and these two are very closely connected, and we won't spend as much time on this one, but it wasn't just pleasure, it was also entertainment. And they kind of go hand in hand, and I get that. Notice the second fact we have to face is entertainment apart from God is meaningless. Notice what he says in verse 4. And I want you to notice, by the way, we're going to go into a little bit of an English class. When I read through these verses, just watch for the little S at the end of a lot of these words. He says, I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for the good of God's people, for myself. This is all for me. "'I made myself gardens and parks "'and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. "'I made myself pools "'from which to water the forest of growing trees.' Let's stop right there for a minute. He has all these projects going on. He's a builder. He's building this and he's building that. He's got houses. He's got pools. He's got gardens. He's got all these wonderful things that are all around him. And again, notice what he says in verse four. Don't read past it. I built them for me. Because I just know if I can entertain myself and if I can have enough pleasure, then my life is going to be fantastic. I just know it. Again, unlimited resources can get anything that he wants. He goes on and he says, verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Solomon didn't wash the dishes. Solomon didn't water the plants out in the garden. He didn't take care of the pools. He didn't trim the trees. He didn't physically build the houses. He had all kinds of people to do that for him. He wasn't doing any of that. Slaves everywhere, at his beck and call, to do whatever the king asks of them. It gets better. He says, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anyone had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered myself silver and gold. Would you rather have Jesus or silver and gold? We're just saying that, Right? And the treasure of king and provinces, I got singers, both men and women. Again, get it, the banquet hall is filled with entertainers. Imagine being able to call whoever your favorite artist is right now today, and you can admit that privately, and calling them on the phone and having them come over and do a private concert for you. That was Solomon's life. And given the nature of a Sunday morning, I want to be careful with the next verse, but at the same time, I don't want you to miss the point. He says, I had many concubines. And the delight of the sons of men, that is a Hebrew euphemism to highlight his sexual indulgences. Money, food, sex, all the things that promise us meaning and fulfillment and permanent lasting joy in this life, Solomon had it at his fingertips. He goes on, so I became great, verse 9, and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. As one writer said, he was, the, he, was the, he was the most foolish, wise man that's ever lived. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What a sad testimony. What a sad, horrible testimony conclusion for Solomon to reach the point in his life that when he came to the end of all of his work and all of his effort, it amounted in light of eternity to absolute vanity. Now, we know in Proverbs 21, 17, we find these words, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. Maybe he'll be rich financially, but poor in soul. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. While Solomon was financially wealthy, while he had influence and power, his soul was dead. He was a walking zombie, if you will. He had entertained himself To the point of frustration, he had entertained himself to the point his soul became numb. The reality is, pleasure, even God-given one, even God-sanctioned ones, can only provide temporary relief to our souls and to our lives. We know that when we live a life that is controlled, dominated, pursuing pleasure, and pursuing entertainment at all costs, we know that this produces bondage, addiction. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them. He said, truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. What Jesus is saying in particular is one that consistently and persistently chooses a sinful lifestyle that is in in direct opposition to God's Word, that you are bringing yourself under bondage. You are bringing yourself under slavery to yourself. One of the ironies of our world, our crazy world that we call home, is that people look at believers in Christ and think we are the ones who are enslaved. And yet the reality is, it is those that, is, that are pursuing a life of pleasure, entertainment, and other sources to find pleasure, meaning, and purpose in life, that they have become bound and in bondage to their sin, but they are blinded by the fact that they are living without Christ. And so the answer isn't, More pleasure, and the answer isn't more entertainment, and nor is the answer to go home and throw your cell phone in the lake and cut. I'm not saying that either. I am saying be wise. The answer isn't pursuing more pleasure and more entertainment or necessarily getting rid of all pleasure and entertainment. I would argue that's a mistake as well. The answer is Christ should be the centerpiece of your life. And every time that Solomon turned his back on God and didn't, understanding, by the way, that Solomon was a long way before the coming of Christ. He was looking forward to the Messiah, but he still had God's revelation. He still had God's commandments. He was living under the Old Testament law. He understood God's expectations. And he said, No, thank you. I'll live life my way. I'll have fun. I'll entertain myself. And years later, he's sitting in his banquet hall. The choir's singing. The band is playing. The alcohol is flowing. And he says, I have wasted my time. I have pursued is that how you want to invest your life is that how we want to live understanding that while sin has the power to enslave Christ died to break our bondage from sin we are no longer slaves to our sin nature we are slaves to righteousness that's where joy is found. That's where meaning is found. That's where purpose is found. That's where lasting satisfaction is found. It's found in Him, not in the things that are found under the sun. So, in closing, let me leave you with just a couple of applications. Okay, Pastor Jay, that's great, wonderful, but what do we do? We all become monks and live in… a No… No, that's not the answer. Asceticism never solved anything. It's a matter of perspective. There are legitimate pleasures to enjoy. God-given ones. Sexuality being one of them, as long as they are practiced within the boundaries that God has set. A lot of the things on Solomon's list are not sinful. Is it sinful to own more than one house? No. Is it sinful to have gardens and pools? No. But even when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a sinful thing. In other words, when it replaces God in my life, yes, it is sin. There is to be this rhythm of work and rest. There is to be this rhythm of enjoying the monotony of life that we studied last week. When pleasure and entertainment become the centerpiece of your life, I am promising you that disappointment and emptiness will follow. I mean, those of us that are, that are parents, it's not just parents that experience this. Maybe you experience this in your own life. And, I, I, and I, don't, I don't watch a lot of television, but there have been times when it's like, man, today I'm just going to veg in front of the TV. I did watch a little bit of playoff football yesterday. I just want to veg and watch, you know, 20 hours straight of the playoffs. You know, I don't know how you feel after you do that, but I feel miserable. The older I got, I can't stand it. Like, after like a little while, it's like, I can't do this anymore. This is mind-numbing. Entertaining ourselves to death. Maybe not to physical death, but to becoming spiritually dead. And our souls are sucked in to this mindset that hedonism, pleasure, and entertainment are the answers to life. Number two, while worldly pleasures produce emptiness, a relationship with Christ produces and promises genuine lifelong joy. And the reality is, we're not much different than Solomon. Oh, we're a lot different than Solomon. We don't have the unlimited resources to live how we live, by God's grace, uh, I would argue. But for the Christian, we become discouraged and despair, and it sets into our heart when the monotony of life seems pointless. Why are we doing this? We'll come back tonight. Because Solomon says it's great when it's all about him. It's it's wonderful when I remember every source of pleasure in my life is a gift from Almighty God. The day being ridiculous with my children and laughing like I was back in middle school was a gift from God. Enjoy it, but keep it in its context. That's not the end of man's existence. Pleasure and entertainment are gifts from God, but they are incapable of providing lasting life, meaning, and purpose. Only Christ can do that. So this morning, I want to end with the end statement of Solomon in this book that we will get to, we will study later. Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. So take chapter 2 all the way up through verse 11 and say, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. What do we do about this seemingly meaningless life when we live for pleasure and entertainment? What do we do? Fear God and keep His commandments. That's what you do. This is, Solomon says, the whole duty of man. And there is purpose meaning, joy, and contentment. That's the way Solomon, if you he were here, would say, don't live your life pursuing vanity. Live for Him and experience eternal, long-lasting, permanent joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for these verses and this challenge, this text to us today. God, forgive us for those moments that we wander away from knowing what is right and trying to fill our hearts and souls with pleasure and contentment, pleasure and entertainment. We all do it to some degree. Lord, remind us, along with Solomon's words, that it is vanity. And Lord, that true contentment is found in Christ and in Him alone. And we thank You for this this reminder today. And pray, Lord, if there's one here this morning that is not sure about their salvation, of what it means to know Christ, that they would get those questions answered even today before they leave. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, I just want to announce that all three men that were nominated for deacon were voted in this morning. And so we welcome them, those that are here in this service. We welcome them and uh, thank them for their willingness to serve our body. So let's stand together. And uh, I guess we already prayed, so you are dismissed. God bless you. Have a good day.